0: So today, we have Jack and Ellen Hoogie from uh, North American Indigenous Ministries with us. And uh, you guys can come on up here as I just kind of do a bit of an introduction here. Uh, Just just a little bit more uh, detail on what I just told the kids. In the 1900s, 18% of the world's Christians lived in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and Oceania. Today, that figure is 67%. 67% of all Christians. By 2050, it is projected to be 77% of all Christians on the planet. Africa is home to 27% of the world's Christians, the largest share in the world. And by 2050, the figure will likely be 39%. For comparison, the United States and Canada were home to just 11% of all Christians in the world in 2020 and it will likely drop to 8% by 2050. That's from the uh, Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. In many ways, we have to start rethinking what we mean by missions, because we need to be the receiving nation now. And we have to focus really on the mission of the gospel to North America, uh, because we're losing that one. And that's why we have uh, people like Jack and Ellen Hoogie and others who are working here in missions in North America. Uh, North American indigenous mission is committed to the growth and maturity of the First Nations Church, resulting in vibrant ministry to its community and beyond, desiring to seek strong, healthy First Nations believers connected to strong, healthy local churches. Some of these will have very distinct first nations identity and culture and other locations more multicultural equipping and supporting first nations people to engage in ministry near and far is the center of their call and their mission and so like jack and ellen are going to come and uh, and share with us what's going on in their ministry and uh and what god is doing Uh, later today i'm going to sit down with them and and uh and have a longer conversation with them get to know some of their life story and some of the things that, you know, maybe the invasive questions So that'll be fun and that'll be available uh, sometime tomorrow uh, For you to watch or to listen to on our podcast. So thanks Jack and Ellen uh, come and share with us
1: you say more? <laughs> I'll go first um, I really want to thank you folks for uh, your interest in what we've been doing all these years. I don't know where we'd be without um, your prayers. It's, it's quite a privilege to have people praying for you in your life. I don't think we'll ever really realize how much. So um, thank you so much. I, I really love coming here. This is uh, one of my favorite places. You folks are just wonderful. Um, One thing I've never gotten used to in my life is public speaking. I thought I would. So when I turned 50, I had already burnt out. But um, I decided to retire from public speaking. And it was a health issue. It actually was. (laughs) So, but I feel very comfortable with you. And um, I'm going to give Ellen permission to speak. And um, (laughs) go ahead.
2: I don't know. He doesn't always give me permission. (laughs) Uh, Can I sit down? Yeah, you can sit down if you want. Or you can stay, or you can stay. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, Yeah, so I've been public speaking all my life, so it's easier for me than it has been for him. And so he's handed that job over to me to share about our ministry. Uh, Where's Mike? Can we have our first slide? Is it up? Oh, there we are. This is us. This is our whole family except for one little, our last little grandson that was born during COVID. And this was taken five years ago on our 40th anniversary, and my daughters are hatching a plot for another family picture. It's hard to get us all together because we're kind of scattered around the country, so for we, we had our 45th anniversary this last November. And we're doing a camping holiday with all of us together in the Cypress Hills. And so we're going to get another family picture taken. So if we come back here in a few years, you'll see an updated picture. But this is our, our four daughters and our son-in-laws and nine of the, eight grand, of the ten grandchildren. And uh, we are all very grateful for your prayers and for helping us out financially over these last... When was it, since 1980, 81, that we came here the first time, Jack, to, to Gospel Chapel? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of years that you've supported us in prayer and in giving, and we are so grateful. Mike, you can change the slide. Thanks. And I want you to know that your prayers and giving have been effective. We have seen so much change in the indigenous community, especially the, the Christian indigenous community. When we started out in 1980, we could count on one hand the trained and effective ministers of the gospel in the indigenous community, and now we have no, no amount of toes and fingers to do it. They're everywhere, and they're young and old. This young man, Josh, He's a 16—when he was 16 years old, as a foster child, he wrote a book of poetry about his life in and out of foster care. His mom was a terrible alcoholic who used to put him in a shopping cart and go bottle collecting, you know, for her habit. But she was also a Christian in spite of her problems, and she took Josh to church faithfully whenever she could. And he is a Christian, but he has fetal alcohol effects, and this messes with his ability to, you know, it, with impulse control and stuff like that. So he also has addiction issues and he's been in and out of jail once or twice for, you know, theft to support his habit. But he's also a Christian, a young, he's in his 20s now. And Josh had this idea because Shopping Cart Boy, his book, has touched so many people's lives. He and his foster mom, who's now not his foster mom because he's in his 20s, but they, they're, he, she's still his mom. They've gone to so many conferences um, to talk about foster care and the effects of, and how to navigate the foster care system. They've been invited to all these non-Christian conferences because of Josh writing this book that mentions prayer but, and mentions God but does not mention Jesus. But at these conferences, they've had opportunities to share their faith in Jesus. You gave so that this could happen. And it's happening all the time. So Josh had this big idea um, that he would, because he was in jail and he was sharing his testimony in jail, he had this big idea to put his book into all the libraries of every prison and correctional facility in Canada. But of course he doesn't have the money. So I went to our supporters that have supported us faithfully over the years, and the money came in. And so now we're going to be mailing out this book to all the correctional facilities in Canada with his testimony in the back, on a sticker on the back cover, so that people can read how his faith has helped him through the tough times in his life. And once again, he had to word it carefully because it goes into the main prison libraries, right? But then all his information is there if people want to contact him. But he, he doesn't talk about Jesus, but he talks about his church life and how his faith has brought him through and how he didn't know how he would be able to cope if he didn't have his faith in God. And that's legit, because, you know, you can talk about God, but not Jesus <laughs> in the mainstream prisons. So this is what your giving and your prayers are doing. And I don't know the fruit of it, yet only God knows the fruit of what will happen when these books go into the prisons. And you can see them on the back table there, and, or buy one for someone that you know who has been in foster care. So many people have written in to Josh and said, you know, you've expressed what I felt but I couldn't say. And that's important, because so many of these kids who grow up in such disadvantaged situations, don't feel like people know how they feel, and they don't feel heard. And it's so important for them to feel heard. Mike, next slide. Here's another young lady who you have been giving toward and praying for. Her name is Winter, and I've known her since she was probably, oh, 14 years old. She's a young single mom now. And we were asking for prayer for an artist for a book that my friend Deirdre has written about her aunt Mary Grey Eyes. Mary Grey Eyes was the first woman, Indigenous woman, in the Canadian Armed Forces and she was a real trailblazer. She went to residential school, she was kidnapped from her home at age five, Um, she had pretty tough time, as kids did in the residential school system, but her grandmother taught her to pray, and her grandmother taught her to be strong, and she says, don't be afraid of them, and help the other kids. And that became Mary's goal, to not be afraid and to help the other kids. And she carried that goal out throughout her life. Even when she was in the armed forces, there were lots of women in the armed forces with her that needed a lot of help, and so she helped them. And she just came through it, a vibrant Christian, and in this book, once again, I want to put it in the um, mainstream school, you know, not Christian schools would love it too, but I want it in the public school system. And it, it has two incidents in Mary's life where she prayed and God answered. And then it has all our contact information and stuff in the book so that people can go to our website and get Christian books if they like that one. But I just want the school system to know that there were Indigenous people back in the day who prayed, in spite of their residential school system trauma, prayed to God, and God answered, and they were resilient, and they came out of it as very successful people. Mary B was, of course she didn't go to war because, you know, women wouldn't back then, and she was a cook in the army and learned to cook for the, the officers, actually, and so she carried that skill throughout her life. They settled, I think, in Victoria area. Um, she married a guy that she met overseas and they've settled in Victoria and she was a very buoyant, happy a successful person, and I want young people to know that those stories of Indigenous life exist because you hear a lot of, you know, trauma and I'll never get out of it stories these days. And so I'm excited about it, but we needed an, an artist to illustrate this book for middle-grade kids, and we prayed and prayed, and it just seemed like God wasn't answering, And it took over a year and I have lots of contacts and I put out feelers everywhere and everyone that I thought would say yes because like they're getting paid to do this and it's not, it's the standard rate for illustrators and everyone said no. And then a few months ago, my friend contacted me and says, I think Winter would like to do it well, last year, Winter wouldn't have been in a position to do it because she's a single mom. She was out of a job. She was, like, between houses, you know, all these things that single moms deal with. And she wouldn't have been able to have the life stability to illustrate this book. But this year she does. And that's why God was delaying that prayer. And so if you could continue praying for Winter because... Life is rough <laughs> for young single moms, and uh, she is very enthusiastic and very talented, so please continue praying for her. But sometimes God delays our prayers, and we just can't quite understand why he does. But he does, and it's always for a good reason we find out later, and I'm sure you have prayers that have been delayed. I know I have you know, prayers for some of my loved ones who have not received Jesus yet or um, people that are struggling in their faith and God seems slow to help them. and <laughs> But you know what? We're in good company. because Mike, can you change the... You see, this is the promise. This is the promise. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if we ask for strength for winter to illustrate this book, if we ask for the salvation of our child who is not walking with God, if we ask for these, these are things that God wants to do. But often there are delays. Mike, can you change it? And Jesus understands it. He also has delays in what he has asked for, and I'll go into that in a minute, but this is the famous verse about, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it is to be human, yet without sin. Did you know that Jesus also has prayers that have been delayed a long time, a lot longer than ours? Mike, can you change it? This is the one. It's his One of his last prayers before he left the earth to go be with his father permanently, he said, I also pray for those who believe in me that all of them may be one father, that they may be brought to complete unity. That's us. And we know that prayer has not been answered. In some individuals and some churches and some families, it's been answered, but not in all believers as a whole. We are not unified, and Jesus is still waiting for this prayer to be come to a fulfillment. Do you believe that every prayer of Jesus will be answered? We have to say yes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Even though we're going looking at the world around us and all the disunity of, in the church, you know, that... COVID and all the vaccine stuff happened and there's, it seems like there's so much disunity over those issues. And then there's family unity, you know, um, over political issues and over, you know, the, you know what I'm talking about. Unity, it seems in our day and age, has been really disrupted. And yet this is what Jesus prayed And he's still waiting, like for 2,000 years, he's been waiting for this prayer to be fulfilled. Mike. And this is his goal. It's amazing. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is his goal for us as a church. Before he comes again, it's going to happen. And that prayer for unity is going to be fulfilled. And I don't know how he's going to do this. (laughs) I can't even imagine it, that we would be unified, you know, even generationally. I can't imagine it, but this is Jesus' goal. He is the almighty God. He will accomplish this. So, those of us in this room and across our nation need to get with the program. Mike? What are the barriers to unity? And you know I'm talking about our families, I'm talking about our churches, but I'm also talking about our relationships with Indigenous people in the church. Uh, Sadly, As I talk to lots of people in and out of the church, I find more prejudice and anger towards Indigenous people in the church than out of the church. And I know it's probably not you guys, but this is a sad fact of life. And so I've been wondering, what are these barriers to unity? And the barriers are the same whether it's family or our neighbour or Indigenous people. Mike? Barrier number one, they're simple barriers. We know all about them, pride. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And when it comes to our relationships with indigenous people, with our families, with our neighbors, it's not that you have to, like, if we can do some things better than other people, we can but that doesn't affect their value in God's sight. And if we value ourselves more highly than other people, that's pride. And so often when I've gone to conferences, like missions conferences, this one lady just went on a rant about Indigenous people and why can't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and why can't they just get over it and all of this kind of thing because she wasn't valuing our Indigenous brothers and sisters in Christ on the same level she was valuing other people. And so we need to put our pride aside. Whatever our political opinions are about the bad government policies that have put our country in this situation, and some of them have been tied to, a lot of them have been tied to the church, whatever our opinion is about how to, clean up this mess that our country is in and it's a big mess and I don't think politics is going to do it. Um, We need to value our indigenous brothers and sisters in Christ above ourselves, above ourselves. And that's sometimes hard to do when we see the media and how people are portrayed. Mike? The other barrier Is unforgiveness and this goes both ways. Um, Our Christian brothers and sisters who have been hurt by the church in the past and I know there is no one in this room that set up the residential school system and we've inherited this problem from other people but our Christian brothers and sisters in the indigenous community community have been hurt By individuals who have not valued them. And they need to forgive. They need to forgive the government. They need to forgive the churches of the past who set up the residential schools or took the government that took them away from their families in the 60s. They need to forgive. But it's not easy because they are bombarded with media and peer pressure that Prevents them from, prevents forgiveness as being acceptable. I've had a lot of Indigenous friends come up to me secretly and say, You know, my dad didn't have a terrible time at residential school. He actually had a great time. And others say, You know, I'm so glad I went to residential school because my home life was terrible and it really saved me. It gave me stability. But they don't say it, dare say that out loud, even to each other. They can admit it to me because I went to boarding school as a child um, from age 6 to 10. I went, my parents were missionaries in Nigeria and I know some of the trauma that, uh, you know, that happens in relationships as a result of being taken, like being away from your parents. I was never abused. It was my, I was not kidnapped and taken away like some of these people but I know that it does create a trauma in your soul and so a lot of my Indigenous friends can say things like this to me that they would not say to other people. There's such peer pressure to go along with the status quo and be bitter, but this is not Jesus way. And I just want to read, I'm working on a book with a friend that we've known since the 70s and he's the, his name is Howard Jolly, he's the leader of the indigenous division of the Christian and Missionary Alliance and a pastor in Winnipeg. And he's also in a band um, called Rising, what's their band called, Rising Above? Yeah. And we've known him for years and he's been wanting to write on some of these issues. And he's asked me to help him with edit and editing and flow and stuff like that because he knows how to write Uh, college papers, but he doesn't know how to write books for normal people, right? And so I'm helping him kind of dumb it down for the rest of us. (laughs) But he's been writing about these issues, and I just want to read what he's written. I think it'll bless your heart. He says, The forceful nature of past government and church assimilation policies was contrary to the humble nature of Jesus. Jesus gave his life so that the whole world would come to know him. He died for the whole world's sin, but he did not force anyone to become his follower. Through the centuries, Jesus has drawn people to himself through love, not by force. The residential school's attempt to force Christianity on indigenous children has generated a strong resistance to the church in indigenous circles. And now, in the eyes of many of our people, the genocide of our culture is associated with the Church. Perhaps I can communicate the impact that the Church has had on many of my people if I express how it has affected my own life. I went to residential school from the age of 4 to 11. There were some good experiences there, but the difficult things outweighed the good by far. I was traumatized by the unfairness and abuse I encountered. And today I still grieve the time I spent away from my family because of residential school. Like many Indigenous kids who went to residential school, I experienced a disconnect in my primary family bond because of the loss of that vital relationship during childhood. I also grieve how I disrespected my parents. Part of the reason for doing this was my own immature selfishness, but I was also influenced through my residential school experience to adopt a European mindset concerning my people. I did not see it then, but looking back I realized that I was trained to despise my Indigenous people and my own identity. Now I grieve deeply as I recollect that I was taught to look down on my people and their way of life. When I became a husband, and eventually a father, I realized that I needed to heal from the hurts of my past. To do that, I realized that I needed to heal. Um, And this is where the mystery of the cross brought me to a crossroad. A crossroad is a fork in the road, and when you come to it, you have to choose the road you will travel down. When I was at that crossroad in my healing journey, and deciding what direction to take, the words of Christ on the cross came to my mind. In the midst of his agony on the cross he said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing Luke 23 34 and Howard goes on to tell his people in this book that that is our job as Christian people is to lay down the hurts of our past and forgive the people that have hurt us and I don't know, as a mom, the, the greatest grief of my life is when my children are not getting along. And I had two of our girls, we had two of our girls that didn't get along from the get-go. They were just different personalities. And one was a real rule follower and one broke every rule she could. And they just didn't see eye to eye on much of anything. And so we'd work on it. Jack and I would work on it all through their growing up years. And it was hard, but we just stayed at it. Finally, in their 20s or 30s, I forget, I think it was late 20s, they decided to reconcile. They decided to lay aside their grievances towards each other. Well, then my little rule follower joyfully thought that she would be best friends with her sister, the rule breaker. And I said, no, no, no you you are too different. It's fantastic that you love each other and that you've put this all aside. But don't ever expect to be best friends (laughs) because you're just too different. Just work on loving each other. And they have over the last, you know, 10, 12 years. They have just loved each other even though they both recognize they'll never be best buddies. And I think we can take... Encouragement from that in our relationship with indigenous people or other cultures That we don't relate to in the body of Christ There are some cultures we are drawn to and we can really be close to and there are some cultures We just don't get and that's okay We can love people that we don't get and We can rest in the fact that we can forgive and love and work, live in harmony even though we don't gravitate towards a certain people group. And if that's you and Indigenous people, that's okay. I have history. My grandparents had Indigenous friends. My dad had Indigenous friends. My dad thought he was going to be a minister or a missionary to Indigenous people until my mom dragged him off to Africa. And <laughs> so I have history. And it's a natural thing for both Jack and I. But it may not be for you. So please don't feel guilty about it. Mike? Mike? We are the family of God, and our goal, if we're going to get in line with the goals of Jesus, is unity. That's what we need to work on. Mike? So what is the road to reconciliation? Well we can take down those barriers of pride and unforgiveness, but it is a road. It's not an event, it's not a destination yet, it's a road, a journey. Mike then the first thing we can do, as painful as it is and as hard as it is, we can listen. The Bible says in Matthew 18, which is a passage about how to reconcile with your brother or sister, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, and that's what our Indigenous brothers and sisters have done in regard to the residential school issue. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And I think there are a lot of people who are not wanting to listen. We get bombarded by media that's slanted in one direction, often for agendas of power or money. We get turned off and we stop listening. And if you can find a Christian brother or sister who is indigenous to listen to and just listen to their story one-on-one, That will help on the road to reconciliation. You can um, go read Josh's book, or some of the, I have a whole book table there written by indigenous people. You can read the book, and in that way, listen. That's one thing we can do. And each one of us can do it. Mike, another thing? These are simple things. Pray, and you've been praying for us and the ministry to Indigenous people since 1980. How many years is that even? That's over 40? Good heavens. (laughs) And there have been so many, so many answers to prayer. Mike? Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates the closest of friends. And the thing I'd love you to pray for more than anything else, when you see Indigenous issues on the TV or radio or whatever media you look at, please pray for the Christian Indigenous community to forgive. If Howard says in his book, if we can do that, we can change the world. And I believe if we can do that, we can change our country if the Christian indigenous community can forgive us, and as a white community. And this is not, like I said, not an easy thing for them. They have so much pressure against it. I wrote a letter to my supporters, and some of you may have gotten it, asking for prayer for this, and an indigenous supervisor in our own mission Was hesitant to send out the letter because it's an issue for him. He's a missionary. This is a real issue. I was talking to Tim. Where is Tim? There he is, about his stories about living up north and the revival that happened in the 60s and 70s in our nation. A lot of you older people will remember it. You guys, it's amazing. Go, the Jesus Revolution movie, has anyone seen that one? Jesus Revolution? Yeah, it happened just like that. We wore the same clothes, drove the same cars. It was all like, we said the same stupid things. (laughs) It was exactly like that. There was a revival that spread across this country. Do you know how it started in our country? It started in Saskatoon with two brothers who were going to the same church and hadn't spoken to each other for years. They were angry with each other, siblings. They went up to the front of the church and reconciled, and it started a fire in our country that spread way up north where Tim was living, and way from coast to coast to coast. And we were in the middle of that in the 70s, and it was wonderful. I went to India with a mission group at the time, and it was over there, too. And it just spread globally. It's my suspicion hope, prayer, that if Indigenous Christians can forgive us as a nation and as a church, that it would light that same kind of fire. So pray. Pray for that to happen. As soon as I sent out this letter that um, was kind of frowned on, Howard contacted me. He didn't know about this letter. And he says, you know, I'm writing a a book about Indigenous reconciliation and stuff, and would you help me with it?" And I was kind of skeptical, because I'm used to people being really bitter, even if they're Christians. And then I started reading Howard's writing, and realizing he's on the same page as I am. We're in unity on this. That was not an accident. God is at work. Aslan is on the move. Winter is almost over. Spring is coming. And great things will happen. Mike? Another thing we can do on the road to reconciliation is to serve. We were singing an old song that we used to sing in Sunday school way back when, and here's another one. Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, we must shine. You in your small corner, and I in mine. And we all have a service to do, but you know the parable of the talents where some one servant got a little bit and they all got different amounts? You're not responsible to do someone else's act of service. So you, don't, you just have to love who God puts in front of you. That's our only thing we have to do as Christians. Just If God puts a person in front of you, love that person. If God puts an idea in your head to do an act of service, even if it's a smile at the grocery counter, that's an act of service, and it will be rewarded. Because Jesus said, you know the verse, even a cup of water given in his name will be rewarded. So if you don't feel like you have a big act of service to do, don't worry about it. Do a little one. Mother Teresa said it's little acts with great love that changed the world. And so do it with love. But there are lots of ways of of serving. Prayer is one. Um, Supporting Indigenous Christian Ministries is another. Uh, And you guys have been, I'm preaching to the choir, you guys have been doing that for decades. And I know you have, like I, we spoke at the Pines Camp several times in the past, and I know there are Indigenous kids there. Just love them. Just just love them. It makes a difference. One time I was at camp, not the Pines, but um, in Alberta, and it was an Indigenous kids' camp, and I was helping this little boy learn how to roast a wiener. He had never done it before, ever. He was like eight years old, never roasted a wiener before. And so he was all excited about this new skill, and he said, I wish every day was camp. (laughs) Camp makes a difference in kids' lives. And you guys know that. And especially young people, if you love an indigenous young person or child, you don't know the ripple effects. And it's just kind words, it's treating them as equals, joking around, playing tricks. (laughs) That is what is going to bring unity, that kind of service. Mike, and I love this verse. When we think about service and we think about unity and we think about all the barriers and our failures and all of that, we have to remember that the Bible says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you or lies within you, live peaceably with all men. And you cannot live peaceably with everybody, is what it's saying. Some will not allow it. So move on to the next person, try the next person. Don't worry about the person that doesn't want to live peaceably with you, whether it's a family member or a friend or a neighbour or a church member. Love them, but don't focus on them if they're not wanting to live peaceably with you. Same with our Indigenous Christian community. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of mistrust. And the big challenge in our ministry has always been that We are not trusted, even after, you know, 40-some years in ministry, we are not trusted because of past um, hurts and things that have gone on. And I've accepted that I may not ever earn trust, complete trust. Even with our best friends, who we've known since 1987, um, an Indigenous couple. We were having supper the other day and the whole issue of the coronation of the king came up and we realized, oh, we've known these people since the 80s and they still don't trust us and yet we get together regularly, we go on holidays together, all of this stuff, but there's still that barrier. So as much as it is possible and depends on you, live at peace but also be at peace with the fact that you can't live at peace with everybody. But you can love them anyway. Mike, here is our promise I want to leave with you. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And doesn't our land need healing? We need healing so much. Doug was talking about the decline of Christianity in our land. That is one symptom of the fact that we are ill and need healing. And yet, if we humble ourselves and pray, God will heal our land. He'll heal our relationships between us and Indigenous people, and He'll heal our relationships in our families, in our communities. He's promised this. So I'd just like to pray with you before I step down. Father in Heaven, thank you for these promises. Thank you for these people, each one who has served you in the ways that you have asked them to. I pray that you would give them opportunities to serve in the Indigenous community, and that they would take these opportunities. And I just pray, Lord, that as we work to heal the rift between us and our Christian brothers and sisters in the Indigenous community, I pray that you would step in and heal our land, as you have promised. And we thank you for this in advance. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.